Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, some big movies are coming into Canada first, and get ready to shell out some big cash for a big one coming to Disney Plus. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'm finally using the break in TV production to fill in some of the viewing holes I've had over the years, and I'll tell you all about a show called Halt and Cast Fire. And I teed it up last week. This week, I have at long last completed season three of HBO's amazing show, Westworld. Another week, another round of what's going to happen with new movies in North America. The biggest news this week is Disney is pulling the plug on any hopes of getting its new live-action movie, Mulan, into a movie theater. You will die pretending to be something you're not. Yet here I stand, proof that there is a place for people like us. A girl threatens all plans. A warrior. Instead of a theatrical run, Mulan will be available for streaming on Disney Plus on September 4th for a price. That price, $30, and that is on top of the monthly subscription price. Mulan, of course, was originally set to be released on the 27th of March until the pandemic shuttered all the theaters. It's both a surprise and not a surprise. I mean, Universal did release Trolls World Tour on streaming back in April. That made over $40 million on its opening weekend, more than people were expecting, and it's around $100 million now, although the budget was about $95 million plus advertising on top of that, so the experts say it's going to struggle to actually make money for Universal. But undoubtedly, the studios have already used the numbers to figure out their thresholds for turning profits and just in general how to make the most of the situation. And because Mulan is a Disney property, they can probably bank on bringing in more money than Trolls did. Even still, no one really thought Mulan, which costs about $200 million, would go this route. As for things that will play in theaters, um, have you heard about the movie Tenet? All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Don't try to understand it. Feel it. Now, every week, it seems the story changes with Christopher Nolan's time-bendy thriller that no one really knows anything about plot-wise. The latest is this, Warner Brothers moving forward with a theatrical release plan, which involves opening Tenet internationally first and then in select U.S. theaters a week later, which would be September 3rd. And apparently, we here in Canada count as international on this one, so Tenet is set to open here August 27th. I'm not sure that I'd bet my life savings on it, but it is encouraging news. A couple of other movies expected to open earlier in Canada than the U.S. as well, including a Russell Crowe movie next week, where he plays a man who snaps and goes on a road rage tear in a movie called Unhinged. Oh, man. Do you know what a courtesy tap is, young man? I'm sure that's what your mom meant. No, it's not. Well, I'm sorry. If you could just apologize. I don't have anything to apologize for. That's where we are in this world today. You seem to have developed an inability to apologize to 
anyone for anything. You're gonna learn. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. Unhinged. Looks like it's going to fall into the dumb but fun category, and that might be enough to get me to go see it. Crow's been underutilized as a bad guy, I think. So that's next weekend here and on the 21st in the U.S., also next weekend opening in Canada, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. Now that's the plan, as we all know it, for all of those movies as of right now. As we've come to learn the past few months from the pandemic, Brett, everything is tentative and conditional and subject to change at a moment's notice. Indeed, we are recording this Thursday, August 6th in the afternoon, and who knows what could happen even in the next 24 hours. I mean, that often happens to us where we'll talk about something and then find out on the Friday that, oh, by the way, here's the new trailer for whatever movie, (laughs) uh, or they'll change the release date or drop the release date or just pull it off the schedule or whatever. A couple of thoughts there. This Unhinged movie, I had never even heard of it until today, in fact. And I think it looks great. Like, this looks like the kind of just sort of, as you pointed out, mindless thriller. And yeah. Russell Crowe does look unhinged. He looks like he brings, he's, I mean, he's so intense. So he brings this raw, like, you just see the anger. You see him seething behind the wheel. And it's entirely relatable as well because we all... I think to some extent have either experienced road rage or continue to experience road rage. I don't know what it is about being behind the wheel of a car, but nothing triggers anger quicker than when you're in a car. Uh, I mean, there have been comedy routines done about it where like if someone bumps you in an elevator, you're not going to give them the finger and stick your head out the window and weave a tapestry of obscenity. But if someone just cuts you off in traffic, it's like they've killed your family. Right? Yeah, there's a there's a Seinfeld has a really funny bit about how boxing is dumb because it's two guys fighting who have had no prior argument. He says every boxing match should start with them driving around in little cars in the ring until one of them hits the other guy. And then they got a regional fight. (laughs) So I think this looks good. And it it also kind of reminds me of the movie Duel. Have you ever seen Duel? Yeah, that's a great one. It's sort of a precursor to Jaws. It was uh, the the first one, question mark from Spielberg. It was a made for TV movie, but it's really good about a just a guy driving down the road and a, a truck starts terrorizing him for no apparent reason. Yeah, you never see the driver of that other truck, but yeah, he just chases him all over. I believe it was set in the desert, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that was a fun movie. So I'm looking forward to that. Second, as far as uh, Tenet goes, this, as you pointed out, the story changes here week to week. Like, la- didn't we talk about it last week being postponed indefinitely? Or was it yep. the week before? It might have been the week before. Yeah. yeah, I can't keep track. We, we, we keep talking about this. So when I looked and saw that it was set to debut first in Canada in August, that uh, gave me some, some excitement because I want to see this on a big screen. And the early reaction from IMAX employees who have seen it, uh, they say it's nuts. Although, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less from Christopher Nolan. Although he did do Interstellar, didn't he? He did do Interstellar. Was that... That was, no, his last movie was Dunkirk, and before that was Interstellar, which wasn't great. I didn't like that movie very much. Yeah, I never did even bother seeing that one. Dunkirk was great, and I love pretty much everything else he does. Then Mulan as well. I, I'm i disappointed this is not going to be 
on the big screen because this is I haven't seen all of the live action adaptations but and I've never actually seen the original Mulan cartoon but the trailer for this looks electrifying and for those who say $30 is expensive I, I there are a couple of perspectives on that like if you're just yeah. a single person wanting to watch this movie that's kind of hefty although if you go to the movies and buy uh a ticket. I don't know if this was going to be in 3D, but you're looking at 10 to 15 bucks just for the ticket. And if you get food, you're looking at another 15 to 20 dollars easy. So 30 bucks is kind of like a night out at the movies. And if you have a family, then 30 dollars is a steal. Oh, it's a savings. I, I, my girlfriend has four kids, and we only all go to the movies when there's like a good deal to be had of some. Kind of. Otherwise, it would cost like $100 or more, like in the snap of a finger. Now, I know a lot of theater operators are upset with this news because they were relying on Mulan to open because right. it was bound to be a monster smash hit. I mean, as, as big as a hit can be, I guess, during the pandemic. So the movie is only good, going to be available in theaters in countries that do not have Disney+. Plus. Uh, so in the meantime, it's coming to Disney Plus in just over, just under a month. So, so that's pretty cool. That'll, I might have, I really need to investigate a better way to consume Disney Plus. I've pointed out before I use it on my Google Chromecast, but my Chromecast is four years old. I haven't even checked to see if there's a new, a newer version that will cast in 1080p as opposed to 720. Cause anytime I cast anything, it looks good. Like it's in 720p, but it casts it a little dark. So I always have to adjust the brightness of my television and it's just not quite as crisp uh, as a full blown 1080p HD. And, or I should just get a 4k TV. And then I think the Disney plus would likely be built into that up next. Jeff wants you to halt and catch fire. You're listening to the couch potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I started watching a show this week that I've been meaning to get to for a few years now. It was on AMC from 2014 to 2017. Now it's on Netflix. It's called Halt and Catch Fire. Reverse engineer an IBM PC with me. Are you out of your mind? If it goes wrong, I'm a college dropout repairing VCRs for $3.25 an hour. We do our own chip. Ah. Let's turn this thing inside out. Idiots decided to rip off their flagship product. This the only way we get what we want. There is no we. There is now. Halt and Catch Fire. Series premiere Sunday, June 1st. Only on EMC. Again, that was back in 2014, and now it's available in its entirety on Netflix. Halt and Catch Fire is about computer nerds in the 80s. Well, they're not all nerds. It's set at a computer company called Cardiff Electric. It's a fictional company, but the series takes place in the real world. Their main competition is IBM, the behemoth of personal computers when they were first taking off. The show, at least initially, follows three employees of Cardiff as they set out to build a computer faster than IBM's and cost less. These employees are Lee Pace. He's new to Cardiff. He's actually used to work at IBM, and he has a mysterious past. He's also a hothead who's prone to violence, it would seem. He's a salesman. He has a lot of speeches in the first couple of episodes trying to convince people to go along with his crazy plan to take on IBM. He gets Cardiff in a lot of hot water really quickly, but he also seems to have a plan to get out of it. There's Scoop McNary. He's a meek computer designer. He, in fact, did create a computer some years earlier, but it failed miserably. Lee Pace, however, sees the genius in him and convinces him to come along for the ride. McNary also has a family he's been neglecting. He's been in a 
funk since his failure and it's damaging his marriage. And then there's Mackenzie Davis, who's a student computer designer whom Pace convinces to drop out of college and join the team. She's also a punk rock kind of lady, certainly not equipped to deal with all the corporate stuff she finds herself faced with. Uh, she's a wild card, but she's also brilliant. So that's sort of what the first two or three episodes set up. I have no idea where it will go from here. I've heard great things about this show for years. It ended up very high and even at the top of a bunch of end-of-decade lists that were everywhere at the end of 2019. But when the show began back in 2014, it was probably near the height of lots of really great TV that you and I had to watch on a regular basis, Brett. So I missed the beginning of Halt and Catch Fire, and it's not the kind of show you jump into partway through, at least I don't like doing that with shows anyway. So when I saw it on Netflix and I didn't really have a lot of other show commitments at the moment, I decided this week I'd start watching it. It's four seasons, ten episodes each season. Um, I honestly didn't do a whole lot of research because it is a show that's concluded its run and typing the title into anything is to enter a minefield of spoilers. Even just going to IMDb, it seems there may be a main character who changes their name or maybe it's twins. I don't know. I don't want to know until I see it happen on the show. So I've steered clear of all the information about it. I'm definitely on board, though. It's pretty entertaining and certainly interesting. I've watched the first three episodes. And I'm a big Scoot McNary fan, too. He pops up here and there all the time. He was the father of the kids who went missing in season three of True Detective. He also had, like, three lines in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year. He's got a lot of credits. You've definitely seen him in things. So if you're looking for a show early on, I'm saying Halt and Catch Fire on Netflix is uh, very much worthwhile. Yeah, I... I... Just looking at this Scoot McNary right now, and outside of True Detective, I don't know that I would know what he was in, but I see he's been in all kinds of stuff. So he's one of those, hey, it's that guy actors. Oh, yeah. uh, Lee Pace, I got to ask you this because you, I thought you hated Lee Pace. He's he's awesome. He's so far my least favorite thing about this TV <laughs> show, too. Uh, I don't, I've probably said he's in... We were trying to figure this out a couple days ago. He was in an X-Men. Was he in an X-Men movie? No, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he was Ronan the Destroyer in Guardians of, right. Guardians of the Galaxy. Didn't do nothing, anything for me there. I like that show Pushing Daisies he was in, though. We both like that show. Oh, That's that was a, while a great ago, show. Already. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, uh, I, I, I can't recall what else I may have seen him in. Maybe, maybe I hate him so much I've been blocking it out. So hopefully, uh, if I don't like him, it's not so distracting it ruins the show for me. So far, so good, though, on my Lee Pace. Well, you you also, I think, hated him in The Hobbit. Didn't he play Thranduil? Was that his name? He played the an one elf. Of the elves? Yeah. Okay. He was All Legolas's dad. Legolas and uh, Agent Smith are the only two elves I like in any of the Middle Earth stuff, period. Okay. Like when, I watch, when I watch Lord of the Rings, if it's just an elf scene... I fast forward through it. Yeah, some of them are are rather tedious, and reading the books, reading those things, uh, were oh. even more tedious. The elves and their their uh, language and all this. Yeah, uh, Lord of the Rings are good books, but they they can be a bit of a slog at times. Hey, just want to quickly mention here uh, a couple of things that are coming to new streaming ser- or streaming services this weekend. For example, Netflix has uh, something that debuts. It actually debuted today on Thursday called The Rain, Season 3. This is the final season, and this has actually been on my watch list for a while because I heard good things about it. It's a Danish show, and uh, the premise is it debuted in 2018, and it's actually sounds like it's pretty relevant because it's about a deadly virus 
and it's carried by rainfall, so it kills most of the population of Scandinavia and forces the survivors to shelter in place for fear of catching the disease. Uh, so this is the third and final season of that. Just looking down the road here, season five of Lucifer arrives on August 21st. And then on uh, Crave TV, uh, it looks like there's a new, G- well, not new, but there's a Jim Jeffries thing called At JFL. I believe that airs on uh, another channel, but I guess it's finally going to uh, streaming. And True Detective, you mentioned True Detective, Jeff, season three of True Detective oh. is going to be available on Crave. And then on uh, Prime Video, They uh, this week they're getting on August 10th that Capone movie starring... Um, Bane. Tom Hardy. Tom what? Hardy. Yeah, I don't know why I was, what I was thinking. I think it was thinking of Tommy Prince, who I believe might be a wrestler. Yeah, if I, if I'm, not, I'm probably mistaken on that as well. I'm getting really bad at pulling names off the top of my head. Good, good pull on Bane. Uh, I, I salute your effort on that, Jeff Braun. And up next, we are going to Westworld. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Last week, I teed it up. Just started watching it. Only a couple of a couple of episodes. This week, I finished watching season three of the insane HBO show Westworld. We all have our role to play. There are machines in this world, but. Not like us. You and I have no mother, no father. We're alone, outnumbered. We have to be smarter than them, or they'll find us. All right, so to recap, if you are unfamiliar, Westworld debuted in the fall of 2016, based on the 1973 movie about a Western-themed amusement park where you could go and shoot people but not hurt them because they're robots. They look like people but are robots designed for you to do whatever you want to them. The Simpsons famously lampooned this. What was it, Itchy and Scratchy Land in The Simpsons? Yeah, where there was like so it was like Disneyland, but itchy and scratchy land, but also Westworld. Okay, and then they they lampoon it by talking about their amusement park as the place where nothing could possibly go wrong, possibly go wrong. That's the first thing that's ever gone wrong. Naturally, something goes wrong in Westworld, and the robots turn on the humans. So the series expands on that greatly. Season one was just set in Westworld. Season two went beyond that, showed us some other parks, and season three takes some of the robots out into the real world, or the hosts, as they call them, and it gets super complicated. Westworld's kind of like Game of Thrones this way. It is a massive, ambitious show 
with tons of characters. And given that it debuted in 2016 and then season two aired in 2018 and season three finally debuted this spring, I just can't remember the finer details from those first two seasons. I mean, hell, when I watched the second episode of the season last week, I couldn't remember the finer details from the first episode of the season when I actually watched it the week that it aired back in March. So this show almost demands multiple viewings. So I think I'm either going to have to rewatch it soon in a binge while it's fresh or just wait until whenever season four happens and rewatch it all in the lead up. Because while I enjoyed this season a lot, there's just a lot of stuff that didn't make sense to me because I couldn't remember the full context. I couldn't remember the character history or whatever it is. That's not a bad thing. That's that's on me. That's not on Westworld. The good stuff on this show, it is and continues to be, we, we remarked on this in the first season, it is a gorgeous show. The cinematography is so sweeping and wide, and, and it's a nice contrast to that first season, which was set in, you know, in a Western-themed park, so it was a lot of open, wide, expansive landscapes, whereas this is very much urban, and because it's set in the future, we don't know when in the future, there are a lot of buildings that don't exist now, uh, so that's pretty cool. Would you agree, Jeff, uh, Westworld was one of the, the nicest to look at shows on TV? Oh, absolutely, and just giant uh, vistas and, you know, the desert and country or cowboy kind of landscapes always look good on, on when they're done right. Yeah, so this show is, is just simply gorgeous to watch. It has an amazing cast. I mean, you have Evan Rachel Wood as Dolores, Jeffrey Wright as Bernard, Tandy as uh, Tandy Newton as Maeve, Ed Harris as the Man in Black, Tessa Thompson, uh, guys like uh, Luke Hemsworth, James Marsden, uh, Anthony Hopkins was in that first season. Uh, Aaron Paul joined the cast this time out. Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. So he is excellent at anything he does. So great cast. Tremendous action as well. Like There are some fight scenes in particular between Tandy Newton and Evan Rachel Wood that are spectacular. Like I would put them up against almost any fight you'd see in a movie. So that really made me happy to see that. And it's just a challenging show. Like It really makes you stop and think about what you're watching. Um, but that can also be the bad uh, to an extent because it's often confusing. You almost really need to read those recaps and reviews that, that are out there for every show. But I seem to have lost my patience for that sort of thing. I used to love doing that. I'd watch an episode of TV, and then I'd read a recap, and then I'd read someone else's recap, and then read another one, and I just can't be bothered anymore. Do you still do that kind of stuff? Uh, not as often as I used to. It has to be a show that you know, I'm really getting into. I might go looking for some Halt and Catch Fire recaps along the way, but the, the heyday of that has kind of gone by the wayside. The Breaking Bad was... Breaking Bad and Lost, I think, were the best times I ever had doing that, for sure. Yeah, lo the Lost recaps on Entertainment Weekly's website were nuts. The guy who, who did them was uh, a certified genius, I think, but he went way too deep. Uh, so it was kind of fun to, to see just how deep the rabbit hole he went. They also did this amazing episode in this season where Aaron Paul's character takes this drug called Genre, and it makes him experience things as though he's in a movie, and it brings him through five different genres like one of them is sort of a black and white noir theme and even the music the the the, the show's soundtrack depending on if the, the scene was in color or if it was in black and white the music would change and it would become a lot more old-timey so that was brilliant 
And uh, then as they bounced through different distra- or different genres, uh, there was, I think, uh, maybe even a love story in there. Yeah, it was just a neat little distraction in what, was, in what was otherwise some pretty heavy stuff. I mean, quite frankly, it's all heavy. This is a weighty show, but it's well worth a watch, and it bounces back from what I thought to be a disappointing season two. Season two was good, but season one was excellent. I will say, though, the fact that the story has now taken us into the real world, I kind of miss the park component. I mean, I get that shows and stories evolve, particularly adaptations. I mean, you can't make a TV series based on a two-hour movie and have it set in the exact same spot for the whole time, but I just kind of miss the charm of that original season. Anyway, if you haven't watched it, it's all there on Crave. Westworld Season 3, it is great. A uh, couple of other shows I just wanted to point out here are news relating to some other shows, including one of my favorite shows of all time. I think Dad wants us to pick up where he left off. Saving people, hunting things, the family business. Supernatural. So this was a show that was in its final season, its 14th and final season, and 13 episodes had aired, and uh, they were into the home stretch. But, of course, they had to pull the plug. They'd actually completed filming on 18 episodes, but they couldn't do the the post-production on those episodes. So because they've had to wait so long, um, they might actually do... Oh, hang on a second. I guess they're in their 15th season now. Pardon me. So it was supposed to be the 15th and final season. They have filmed until episode 18. But since our visual effects and sound departments have closed due to the outbreak, the remaining episodes cannot be aired. So they might, they're talking about coming back, like if they got to wait until 2021 to come back, they might just come back with another full season. Instead of giving us the remaining eight episodes, they might just say, you know what, here's a full-blown season. So that would be kind of nice. Plus it'll give the writers all kinds of time. Like you got to think they've had all kinds of time to work on ideas that so they're not rushing through it so that every episode they give us is a big one is a good one um and that would be kind of nice to, to not have to just come back after waiting a year or however long we have to wait and then just get a handful of episodes and done like when the good place they i remember the first time the first season of the good place they went on hiatus in i don't know november and came back after the christmas break and uh gave us like two or three new episodes and then the season was finished yeah, that's no good, especially with uh, well, sitcom. The episodes are so short, and often when they don't get great ratings, they like didn't a bunch of those do like doubles in one day kind of thing? Like you get two in one week. Oh yeah, that's right. Lots of shows do that. Parks and Rec blew through their whole final season in like five weeks because they aired two every night, and it was a shortened season. Yeah. Also, it looks like they might even be considering incorporating fan feedback into the show, which is uh, reportedly very difficult in the fast-paced schedule of TV seasons, but there is no show on television with a more loyal and ferocious fan base than than Supernatural. And I just got to mention this quickly about another one of my favorite shows. It became one of my favorite shows this year. Money Heist. It's on Netflix. It's a Spanish show. I plowed through that a couple of months back. I love it and I highly recommend it. And they announced this week that the show has been renewed for one final season. So season five will be 
the series finale for Money Heist. So again, if you haven't checked it out, I, it's so good. I watched it in Spanish. You can watch it in English, but I recommend watching it in Spanish. Up next, I can't... When you told me to record this clip, I thought, are you kidding me? He's found another movie in the Butlerverse. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And this week, Brett, I went back to the Butlerverse. Oh that is, of course, the films of master thespian Gerard Butler, <laughs> a.k.a. Jerry Butts. Um, and now, if you're a longtime listener of The Couch Potatoes, you know that he fascinates me in ways I have trouble pinpointing. He seems to not be a good actor a lot of the time, but he has undeniable screen presence, and his performances are almost always tinged with a weirdness that I find mesmerizing. That is to say, he's very watchable, even though you're often not quite sure what you're watching. He's had a string of light rom-com movies, which is amazing because he's ugly? No, come on! I'm sure he's not. I'm sure there are millions of people who think he's one of the ten hunkiest guys of all time or whatever. But he really can look goofy looking at times, I think. So I get a kick when he turns up as a romantic lead. And this week, I, f I found a winner in a movie called The Bounty Hunter, starring Butler and Jennifer Aniston. On March 19th, one man... I think I threw up in here. ...will go to extremes... I won't even break a sweat. ...to chase the gold. You're telling me to go pick up my ex-wife and bring her to jail? <laughs> Yes! From the director of Hitch. You are a bounty hunter. Witness the thrill of victory. <laughs> and feel the agony. I should frisk you. Of defeat. What are you doing in there? The bounty hunter. Where do you think you're going? Okay, Aniston is the first ballot Hall of Famer in the rom-com department, even though few of the movies are very good. But she's in as a no-brainer on sheer volume. She's also a very good actress, of course, who too often does not get great material. Because of her track record and his track record, I went into The Bounty Hunter with low expectations. It's at 12% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it was a pretty decent hit when it came out back in 2010, making $136 million worldwide on a $40 million budget. I was surprised at the 12% actually, because I quite enjoyed it. That's top-tier butler in my book. He plays an ex-cop who's now a bounty hunter. She's a reporter who got in some very minor legal trouble, the nature of which is not revealed until the end, so I won't spoil it, who skips out on her, on her court date to chase down a story. That technically makes her a fugitive, and he's assigned by his boss to hunt her down and take her to jail. The twist is that they used to be married, so it's like a revenge fantasy for divorced people. So he's chasing her, she's chasing her story. They meet up very early on, and then it's sort of like a road movie as they bicker but grow closer and also get in deep with some bad guys as part of the story she's chasing yada 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 it plays out as you would expect as rom-coms should because they are meant to be a comfort there is of course all manner of ludicrous situations and storytelling that is not at all subtle which is also acceptable in these light rom-coms so it's nice when you get a real quality one like when harry metalli or sleepless in seattle but things like this or while you were sleeping also work if they're entertaining so the question is, is it entertaining? And the answer, I'm happy to report, is yes. I'm also willing to admit that the low expectations I went in with and the number of brutal movies I've seen each of them in have affected my opinion. So I'm like... It was good, but glad I didn't pay money for it. Peter Green, he plays a bad guy. He's always welcome to play a creep in any movie I'm watching. He was uh, the crooked cop Zed in Pulp Fiction, and he was Redfoot in The Usual Suspects, the guy who flicks a cigarette at Stephen Baldwin. They wisely don't waste any time trying to do a fake-out where you're supposed to think he's the good guy. 
Because, come on, he's never the good guy, is he? As for the butler of it all, I had one revelation with this movie that gets me a little closer to figuring him out, I think. There's a scene about two-thirds of the way through where he and Aniston are having a romantic dinner and talking about their feelings, and he does some genuinely good emoting. And uh, it's nonverbal, just face acting. It was an effective scene that makes the rest of the movie kind of believable as far as their relationship is concerned. And that's sort of the thing, the thing with him. When there is acting to be had, a scene that demands... He turn it on and display some real emotion. He can do it. The baffling part is the rest of the time, Brett. Like, if all he has to do is walk up to a counter and order a hot dog, he cannot make that come off like a normal person ordering a hot dog. He puts way too much spin on the ball every time. It's very weird, but those things are also the things that bring me the most joy. He also loves all the busy work, these little scenery scenery-chewing moments you can take advantage of. In this movie, you will be de you will delight in watching him put Tabasco sauce on a burrito, for example. So I was pleasantly surprised overall with The Bounty Hunter. The one he did with Katherine Heigl that I watched a while back was such a bitter pill to swallow. I was sort of dreading going back to the romantic comedy well in the Butlerverse. And again, my recommendations for Gerard Butler movies include uh, the disaster porn eye candy of Geostorm, which finds him at full throttle and is also a movie where he plays a rock scientist and den of thieves which is a legit good heist movie with cool twists you won't see coming and he is fully unleashed in the scenery chewing department in that one den of thieves by the way is on netflix as is the bounty hunter which brett i will give three and a half couch cushions out of five to i need to watch geostorm yet and i know that that is available on one of my streaming services, I believe. I'm just trying to crack open that Just Watch app to let it me know. It was on Netflix for a, quite a while. Like a couple of months ago, it was still on Netflix. But I looked it up uh, this morning and I couldn't find it there again. So I oh. didn't look to find out where it is because I own the Blu-ray. Your fascination with the Butlerverse is very amusing, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, I salute you. How many more movies before you oh. get to 300? That's going to come very near the end. I was looking. He's got 66 credits, and I'm not watching all of them. I'm trying to go back to figure out when he became a star, and then just the movies since then, since that guy's had the juice to make his own decisions more or less in Hollywood. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Get it wherever you find your favorite podcast. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.